Welcome to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And for more than 10 years with SNN, I've been doing interviews with microcap management teams at investor conferences globally, as well as online. Our SNN Live CEO video interviews are meant to pique interest, and then one can discover more by going to that company website. But personally, I always have more questions I want to ask. On this show, I'll be chatting with public company executives from microcap companies, and we'll dive deeper into companies that are rarely profiled. Microcap traditionally is overlooked, unloved, and absolutely never featured on legacy financial media outlets unless something material is going on that's a good story. With my experience interviewing management teams, having interviewed most of them before, I've built up a network of companies, so there will be no shortage of content. Furthermore, this is an opportunity for me to showcase some of the qualitative lessons I've learned from guests on the Planet Microcap podcast. You can expect high quality interviews with management teams that may have exposure to broader macro trends that you may never have thought of. One of the many reasons why I love the microcap space. So if you love microcaps and especially love learning about companies before the professionals do, let's start our due diligence. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Doug Gaylor, president and COO of Crescendo Inc., publicly traded company. The symbol is CXDO on NASDAQ. The company is a provider of unified communications as a service, UCAS, call center as a service, CCAS, communication platform software solutions, and collaboration services designed to provide enterprise-class cloud communication solutions to any size business through their business partners, agents, and direct channels. Crescendo's solutions currently support over 2 million end users globally and was recently recognized as the fastest growing UCAS platform in the United States. Crescendo has been written up in some microcap newsletters I respect, and Doug did an interview with Maj Don on one of our pods a while back, and I wanted to invite Doug to join me for this conversation to discuss where he sees the company in three to five years, the inflection points that will get them to that point, and how COVID impacted Crescendo. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Doug Gaylor, president and COO of Crescendo, Inc., Welcome to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me right now is Doug Gaylor. He is the president and COO of Crescendo, Inc. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is CXDO on NASDAQ. Doug, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Thanks, Robert. Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to have you on. So last time we, we met vis-a-vis Maj Swedon from GeoInvesting. Uh, I believe yeah. you were a guest on, on one of the pods that we did uh, for, for that show. And, um, you know, look, I wanted to have you back because, I, you know, that was, that was a great episode. And I wanted to give you a l- even, you know, dig in a little deeper even since then. But um, to start us off, this is how we, we start every podcast here uh, for due diligence is wh- how would you describe Crescendo in that one sentence, that, that one-liner? 
Yeah, so Crescendo is basically a cloud-based hosted phone services for small, mid-sized, and enterprise-level businesses. So we basically provide business phone services over the internet uh, that we host on the cloud. And that's really the way everything is going now is everything's on the cloud. And so uh, that migration from older premise-based equipment to the cloud is, is basically where we sit. Very good. So can you provide us that an overview and history of the company? You know, what, what was the original problem Crescendo was looking to solve and how has that evolved or changed over time? You kind of already alluded to it a little bit. I, I don't think the cloud was around back in the early 2000s. So love right. to hear your answer here. Yeah. So if you think about it, uh, you know, back uh, when I first started with Crescendo, which was uh, 2009, 2010, uh, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't even have a product yet. We were building it uh, behind the scenes, but Back then in the uh, in the mid to late 2000s, every business out there has got a phone system and and 98% of them were using premise-based phone systems, the old Avias and the AT&Ts and the Toshibas and the Mitels and the Intertels of the world. And so they all required a box that was in their office and everything was uh, premise-based. And as we well know, the cloud has really taken over you know most technology-oriented uh, industries, including ours. And so it was really a revolutionary time. Uh, the late 2000s, early 2010s uh, is really when cloud communication started picking up steam because at that point you had enough bandwidth in your office to be able to transmit all of your voice calls over your internet connection. And so really what we did is we took the old PBX and we took it out of the office and we put it on the cloud and we now host businesses' phone systems on the cloud. And so it's much more reliant much more uh, efficient, much more productive. And so it was really a revolutionary change. Uh, you know, I, I kind of alluded to, you know, the old cell phone is that, uh, you know, if you think about everybody having a flip phone back in the, uh, in the early 2000s before smartphones came out, those were the greatest things since sliced bread until you saw the smartphone. And then it was like, boy, I got to have this. And the smartphone revolutionized the way the uh, mobile industry works. And cloud communications really has revolutionized the way business telephone services work. Absolutely. So, you know, you joined the company back in 2009. What, what would you say originally attracted you to Crescendo? And what, how has that original thesis for joining change or, or that evolve over time? Yeah, it's, it's really been a, a great story. I've been in the telecom industry for 35 years now. So dating myself a little bit there. But, uh, you know, the first uh, 20 years was with a company called Intertel. And Intertel was a publicly held company that uh, grew to $500 million. We were listed on the NASDAQ, an extremely uh, successful organization. And Intertel got acquired by Mitel in 2008. And I stayed on, uh, I was senior vice president with Intertel, and I stayed on with Mitel for two years after the, uh, after the uh, acquisition happened. And uh, around 2010, uh, 2009, uh, Steve Mahalo, who was the original founder of Intertel and, and grew that to a $500 million company before the sale of the company, called me up and said, uh, hey, everything's moving to the cloud and, uh, and Mitel uh, is, is not uh, pointed in the right direction for the telecom uh, industry. And, and I'm going to start up a new company and uh, bootstrap it uh, with, with telecom services on the cloud and come help me run it. And so... I had a great working relationship with Steve for 23 years at uh, at Intertel and Mitel. And so I took that opportunity. And uh, as I said a moment ago, we didn't even have a product. Uh, we brought a lot of the engineers over from uh, from our former company, Intertel, and started building our own cloud-based uh, solution. We put our first customers on it in 2012. So it was really the opportunity to start from the ground level 
and build something pretty spectacular. And so to to go from the ground level of uh, no customers on our cloud to today having over two and a half million customers using our platform is pretty significant. What about cloud technology? Has well, when you first when you first joined up, you heard Steve. You're like, okay, all right, I'll, let's do this. You know, it sounds interesting. It seems like everything is now going to the cloud. Mytel doesn't want to even go down that road right now. But what about the cloud technology and cloud communications since then? Would you say surprised you the most? You know, and and what about that opportunity even then? Where you're like, okay, they're making a big mistake not doing this. Yeah, I, th- I think it was the slow adoption uh, to move business aspects to the cloud. So, uh, you know, when we think about, again, the the cell phone analogy, you know, everybody's got a cell phone. And so it was easy for customers to move to a smartphone. Businesses don't move as quickly. And so businesses were a little bit more fearful of moving their premise-based box that was back in the equipment room that they always knew where the box was to moving it to the cloud. So, uh, you know, if you think about the, the early 2000s or late 2000s, 2010 timeframe, you know, customers were a little standoffish on moving to the cloud because what happens if the cloud goes down? Um, you know, now with redundancies and resiliencies, that's not a worry. But, you know, in the early stages, it was what happens if the cloud uh, goes down? Well, the, the cloud never goes down, but a portion of the cloud may go down. If your internet connection went down and, and back in the 2010 timeframe, you know, internet connections weren't as strong and reliable as they are today. So that was a little bit of a worry. And I think, uh, you know, if you think about businesses back then, early iterations of the cloud, uh, you know, were lacking maybe some of the features that customers were maybe used to on their traditional premise-based systems. Uh, But now the cloud has more feature functionality than any premise-based system out there. But in the early stages, just like any technology, it had to come up to speed. And so, you know, the, the early adopters you know, were ones that uh, they weren't really trendsetters, but, uh, you know, they were the first ones to realize that the cloud was more productive, more efficient, you know, gave them mobile capabilities, gave them work from anywhere capabilities. And most importantly, it usually saved them money from what they were paying for their traditional older premise-based equipment. You know, Doug, I don't mean to call you out right now, but I'm going to do this. And hopefully it's in a funny way. Um, I haven't heard UCAS once you know, the unified communications as a service. I mean, come on, it, it's it's on a platter for you uh, in the company description and everything. So I'm, I'm curious, I find that kind of interesting that, that that you haven't used that phrase just yet. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think being in the industry, we use, uh, we use acronyms a lot and UCAS is sure. kind of the acronym for our industry. But, you know, when I tell people that I'm in the UCAS industry, they're like, <laughs> you know, what is that? So UCAS is Unified Communications as a Service. And, and basically, that's just the, the acronym that we use for cloud communication. But, you know, when I when I talk about my business and when I talk about what we do out there, I usually try and put it in layman's terms because when we talk about acronyms and we start using UCAS and CCAS and CPAS, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, not, to, not to joke, but a lot of asses out there. And so, <laughs> so you, know, and, and, you know, when you think about all these uh, as a service type offerings, um, you know, I think the acronyms have really gotten a little bit out of hand. And so I'm trying to just bring it back down to reality that, you know, hey, it's business phone services. Every business out there has got a phone ser- a phone system, and most of them are going to benefit from being on the cloud. And it's not a matter of if these businesses move to the cloud, it's when. Uh, sure. Look at the statistics. There's still 60% of the businesses in the U.S. that haven't moved to the cloud yet. It's only 40% are utilizing the cloud today. And it's not a matter of if that 60% moves to the cloud, it's a matter of when. 
And if you look at uh, Gartner's reports out there, you know, it shows that, you know, the industry is growing rapidly and, and continuing to migrate. So within the next four or five years, you know, that number will be down probably in the single digits of, of people that are still not on the cloud. So, you know, again, in, in three or four more years, when we have this conversation, 95% of the businesses will be on the cloud. And at that point, it's moving customers from one cloud provider to another. So I'm going to take a customer from RingCentral or Vonage and move them to Crescendo. So you're going to see more of that. Right now, most of the migration today are the people that have the older legacy premise-based equipment moving to the UCAS environment. And so, so is that you, so is that your primary target right now rather than converting, you know, people who are already on the cloud or are you, do, or are you doing a mix of both? Yeah, doing a mix of both. So, I mean, okay. obviously, uh, you know, it's probably the, the lower hanging fruit are the folks that uh, haven't moved to the cloud yet because they're going to take advantage of a lot of technology. Um, the folks that are already on the cloud, at that point, it becomes, hey, I'm not happy with my existing service provider or my prices are too high. So it's uh, that, that's really more of a seamless migration to move from one cloud provider to another. So it's again, it's similar in the mobile industry to moving from T-Mobile to uh, to Verizon with your iPhone. You take it in, they swap out the SIM card, and you're good to go. Um, as opposed to if you had an older flip phone and moving to a smartphone, you know that's a much more uh, challenging move. Sure, you can still do it, but uh, that's that's really what we're going after. We're going after all those people that still have the flip phones out there. And again, at 60% of the market, that's still a pretty, pretty uh, big piece of the pie that's still left to eat. Sure. And what would you say makes Crescendo's offerings unique and different compared to some of you know, the Vonages, the Ring Centrals out there? Yes, I think our, our unique proposition is that, uh, one, we, we are in control of our own platform. So we make our own platform. So again, you know, we're the fastest growing UCAS platform provider in the country today. And that was based on Frost and Sullivan's report that came out uh, midpoint of last year. So the fastest growing UCAS platform provider uh, servicing over two and a half million uh, end users here in the United States. That's a pretty significant statement. Um, so what our biggest advantage is, is that one, we make our own platform. So our engineers and our design staff, they're the ones responsible for talking to our customers and finding out Hey, what, what do you need? Uh, because we take a lot of that customer feedback and roll it out into our new releases. Um, organizations like Vonage, Vonage uses uh, two platforms. They use um, Cisco's Broadsoft platform and then they have their own platform. So they've got about half their customers on, on Broadsoft's platform. They don't own that platform. Cisco owns that platform. So they're using somebody else's platform. They don't have control of that, uh, that platform. So that's why they... Uh, over the last couple of years have migrated to their own platform. They still have a pretty good mix of half of them on Cisco's platform, half of them on their, their own platform. Um, when we look at us compared to our other big competitors like an 8x8 or a Ring Central, I think we package more feature functionality into um, a package without the extra nickels and dimes that, oh, you want that feature? That's extra. You want that feature? That's extra. So I think we've got a, a very nice package. I think we also differentiate ourselves by the handholding that we do from a customer service and support perspective. I like to talk about the fact that when the customer decides to go with Crescendo and they put their solution in, it's plug in and play. And when I say that, that means that they plug in their phone and they start talking. Uh, with our competition, I like to joke that uh, with our competition, it's more plug and pray. You plug it in and you pray that it works uh, because in many cases, they didn't do the right due diligence to set up all the things behind the scenes. So uh, we spend a little bit extra time doing that handholding to make sure it's a nice smooth transition for the customer. 
But and but when you're and when you're competing with some of these larger customers that have a bit more of that brand name, you know, what's been the strategy for that customer acquisition? You know, despite you know going in and saying, look, our value prop is that you know we we have better solutions, better product, better UCAS, you know, the whole bit. But you know, you still have to overcome that brand recognition, right? In some cases. So how do you do that? Are you going in at lower price and then just capture that client because you see the long-term relationship value? You know, I'd love, love to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, a little bit of both. So I think if you look at it, uh, you know, we've got two sides of the equation when we talk about our sales uh, approach. We've got a direct sales approach where we sell directly to end users. And then we sell a platform, our platform offering to other UCAS providers where they're going out and selling to the end user. So we've got two different sales approaches. When we're selling to an end user out there, you know, our approach is one, get to them first, because if we get to them first and we educate them on the benefits of cloud and, and UCAS and all the feature functionality and can show them cost savings, in many cases, it's not even a competitive situation. If I can go to somebody that's got a, a 10-year-old Avaya system and I show them the benefits of the cloud and their cost savings, you know, many cases they're signing up right on the spot because they were just unaware of, wow, that's great technology. I need to be able to take advantage of that. And so when we look at uh, that uh, type sales approach, it's getting to them first and then highlighting all of the benefits that the system's got. When we talk about the other side of the equation, uh, you know, we acquired a company last year called NetSapiens. Uh, with NetSapiens, we, uh, we bought a platform offering out there. That platform offering has got over 200 um, UCAS providers using that as their system of choice for their end users. And so the platform side of the house competes against the Microsofts and the Cisco's. Microsoft and Cisco have the number two and the number one uh, respective platforms out there. Cisco owns Broadsoft and Microsoft owns Metaswitch. And so we're going out there and providing a platform to UCAS providers out there. And we're just seeing tremendous, tremendous uh, uh, need and desire for our platform out there. Um, tremendous cost savings over Cisco and Broadsoft. We've got a really unique proposition when it comes to our platform in that we sell it based on sessions, not seats. Where Cisco and Microsoft are very seat-based, that means that they're charging you a license fee for every single end user that you've got on the platform. So if you've got uh, 10,000 desktops on your on your Broadsoft platform from Cisco or your Metaswitch platform from Microsoft, you're paying a seat license for each and every one of those 10,000 end users. With our Crescendo platform, we charge by the session, not the seat. So you could have 10,000 seats out there on our platform, but the reality is you're not having 10,000 people on the phone at any given time. In the reality of business world today, you know you might have a 10 to one ratio. So you may not, you don't need 10,000 licenses, you may only need 1,000 sessions to support those 10,000 licenses. So we sell on a session basis, not a seat basis, and that's very revolutionary. So that really took the industry by storm. That's why we're the fastest growing platform out there, because Cisco and Microsoft continue to nickel and dime on every seat license out there, where we say, hey, you can have as many sessions, as many seats as you want. You're only going to pay for concurrent sessions, and that allows you to manage your business a lot better. So how are you seeing the conversion rates? Because let's let's talk specifically to going to the folks that are using the Microsoft, the Cisco, and then converting over to Crescendo. You know what? How how, how fast, slow? You know what what's what does that rate look like? Yeah. So if you look at our 200 plus uh, UCAS providers out there, uh, you know some of them started from scratch uh, with our Crescendo platform and uh, built their business around that. 
Others have migrated from Cisco or from Microsoft. Um, that's a little bit more of a slow transition. So we call that a cap and grow type migration. Somebody has got a Broadsoft platform today that wants to migrate to Crescendo's platform um, will cap their Broadsoft Cisco solution, meaning they're not going to continue to add to it. And then they'll put our Crescendo solution in and over time migrate their customers over from one platform to another. So that's a very, very um, not time consuming, but it's a very uh, planned out type transition. So they cap their growth for Cisco. They put in the Crescendo platform. They start building the Crescendo platform, start migrating their customers over. Um, if you look at what it costs to support a Cisco solution or a Microsoft solution, it's very expensive. And so for most of those uh, resellers out there, if they're in a position to look at their cost and say, hey, it makes more sense for us to go to a Crescendo solution long term, they'll put our solution in and start growing that over time. Um, if you look at Cisco, Cisco's Broadsoft solution is in some of the largest providers out there. So the Verizons, the CenturyLinks, the cable companies out there, they all are, are large Broadsoft uh, Cisco providers. It's hard for them to move that large of a platform over to a Crescendo. We'd love them to, and, and we're pursuing those opportunities, but that just takes a lot longer. A lot of the smaller Broadsoft players, it's easier for them. So somebody that's got uh, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 desktops, easier for them to migrate over to a Crescendo than a Verizon or a Lumen that might have, you know, millions of stations on their on their broadsoft platform got it and and you know despite the companies having this fast growing uh title which is great you know what 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 do some investors when they're doing those these interviews with you and one-on-ones they're chatting with you they're probably like all right what you know there's probably some kind of like what why aren't they, I mean, you get it probably all the time. Like, why aren't they moving faster? Why aren't they doing this? Like, there's clearly the value prop. Like, what do, what do you have to do to get there? You know, I'm sure you get that all the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to highlight that, uh, you know, we're the, the best kept secret in the UCAS. <laughs> not a lot of people know about us. So that's the, the great thing about doing these type of interviews and sure. getting out there. So, you know, the fact that we're on a $36 million run rate right now based off of our Q4 financials. So we finished uh, Q4 with $9 million. Uh, worth of revenue in Q4. So that's a $36 million run rate. We were finished 2020 on a standalone basis at $16 million. So, you know, you look at that uh, run rate now, and we've more than doubled in size uh, um, in one year. If you look at uh, where we are growth-wise, um, organic growth is north of 20%. Uh, so when we look at where we are today, you know, we're growing rapidly. But as I said, we're probably the best kept secret out there because, uh, you know, a lot of investors don't know who Crescendo is. We uplisted to the NASDAQ uh, in 2020. And so uh, that was a great um, uplist for us, but it was an organic uplist. Uh, so we didn't go out and, and uh, dilute or raise a lot of uh, cash in, in doing that uplist. It was an organic uplist. Uh, we got a lot of fanfare out of that. But again, you know, we're a small micro cap company that, uh, you know, as people hear about us and they start seeing our growth uh, trajectories, you know, the biggest thing for me is where we are today at $36 million run rate is just the beginning. Um, I mentioned our previous company, Intertel. So Steve Mahalo is uh, our CEO. I've been working with Steve for 34 years now. And so at Intertel, we did a lot of acquisitions of our Intertel resellers over the years. With the NetSapiens acquisition that we did last year, we've got 200 UCAS providers using our platform today. And I call that my stocked fishing pond. 
now I've got 200 resellers out there that prior to the NetSapiens acquisition, an acquisition for me might be a Broadsoft reseller or a Microsoft reseller or an Asterix reseller or somebody that's using somebody else's platform. That takes a lot of migration. Now I've got 200 UCAS providers out there that are all using my platform. If I choose to acquire any of them, it's a very seamless migration and it's a very synergistic migration because now I can buy these folks. They're already using my platform. I don't have to change anything with their end user customers. They're already on my platform and I can eliminate some overhead costs in the additional customer service and support aspects. I can eliminate the licensing costs that they're currently paying to us. So it's a very accretive acquisition strategy. So if we look at where we are today at a $36 million run rate, we estimate that the total revenue stream out of those 200 plus resellers that we've got selling our platform today, we estimate the revenue stream on that's about 350 to $400 million. So we've got resellers there that range from $2 million in annual revenue to $50 million in annual revenue. So if we can go out there and look at uh, that stock fishing pond and pull a couple of fish out each year, um, you know, we can see our growth rate grow pretty incrementally um, and pretty steadily. So our goal is to get this thing from a $36 million run rate to a $100 million run rate in, in a couple of years. And we'll do that through organic growth of 20 to 30% and acquisition growth um, out of our stock fishing pond. Very good. So just one, one more question lo looking at the competitive landscape. I mean, what are some of the bigger players when, you know, a client is considering either Crescendo or an 8x8 or RingCentral or one of these? What, what, are they, what, what are they you hearing that they're saying about Crescendo? Is it just like, ah, there's a smaller, smaller platform, smaller company. Like why, why go to them versus where, you know, we've been around for a while. Like is that, is that kind of the main, the main pushback? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, again, when I think about Ring Central and 8x8, uh, you know, most both the, uh, you know, multi-billion dollar organizations. And so, uh, you know, they look at Crescendo as a little guy out there. But, uh, you know, our, our resume speaks for itself now, again, being the fastest growing UCAS platform provider in the country and, and two and a half million end users on our platform. Two and a half million end users and more than 8x8's got on their uh, platform. So, you know, in theory, we're larger than 8x8. But again, most of those customers today are going through our resellers. So we just get a small sliver of that. So again, if we think about what that total revenue stream is out of that uh, out of that total customer base that we've got out there, yeah, it's pretty significant. We don't recognize just but a fraction of that, but over time with the right acquisition strategy, you know, we're really a force to be reckoned with. And I think that the competition realizes that in the fact that uh, you know it's a very easy acquisition strategy for us going forward grow exponentially. Absolutely. So then how did COVID impact Crescendo? I mean, you did big corporate event uplisting to NASDAQ in 2020. I mean, that's that on its own, that's a big deal. But, you know, in terms of COVID, um, love to understand, you know, what, what some of the issues maybe the company had to deal with. Was there even a tailwind, especially with more work from home strategies, folks realizing like, okay, we need to now update our cloud communications and whatnot. So like, like to hear your take there. Yeah, I think if there's a silver lining to the pandemic, it's the fact that uh, it highlighted the fact that businesses needed to have our type technology. Um, the businesses that were still using the premise-based systems suffered through COVID. They didn't have work from home, so they told their employees, go home and use your cell phone. Well, when they go home and they use their cell phone, they can't put a call on hold on their cell phone. They can't transfer a call from their cell phone. They, they don't have any control over seeing the reports on 
if people are using, even using their cell phone. So for us, COVID actually was a silver lining, the fact that it highlighted the need for businesses to have remote capabilities, have reporting capabilities. And one of the biggest things that I, I think we sold throughout the pandemic was that with our solution, Mr. Customer, you've got 25 employees and you just sent all 25 employees home and you told them to start using their cell phones. How do you know if they're even working? How do you know if they're making phone calls and receiving phone calls? You know, you got your main number that comes in to an auto attendant. Somebody's got to answer it. It doesn't go to their cell phone. So we highlighted the fact that, hey, with our system, give everybody a desk phone, have them plug it in at their house into their cable modem. Uh, we get reports off of that. You can see how many calls they're making. You can get uh, your, your contact center working the way it was in your office. So we really allow businesses to operate remotely as if everybody was still in the office. I still had supervisors that could monitor phone calls and get reports at the end of the day to find out, hey, Robert didn't make any phone calls today. You know, hey, Robert, how come you didn't make any phone calls today? Were you watching Oprah or were you uh, doing your job? Uh, so, you know, it really allowed us to help businesses. Oprah. That's an old reference right there. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I, I worked during the day, so I don't even know what's on. So, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's really getting them the tools they needed to work through the pandemic and work in a new environment. The, the work from anywhere environment was, was pretty uh, drastic as far as the change goes. If we think about pre-pandemic, you know, only uh, you know, 10, 15% of people worked remotely pre-pandemic. At the height of the pandemic, that was 75, 80% of the people were working remotely. That number has come down to the 30, 40% range. I don't know if it'll ever get back down into the teens again, but you know, that really highlighted for businesses that, hey, I've got to have ways for my people to be part of a communication system and not be out there on their own on their cell phone, uh, especially when you think about employees now with job changes and people leaving. You know, the last thing I want to do is have one of my biggest customers calling people directly on their cell phone as opposed to calling into my business and having it get transferred to their company number or their company extension. Because when they're coming into my company number, I have control of that number. When they're going to somebody's personal cell phone number, I don't have control of that. So if my best salesperson leaves my company today and goes to work for the competition and all of my customers were used to calling him on a cell phone, guess what? They're calling him at the competition and I'm missing those phone calls. I don't even know about those phone calls. So we really highlight that with businesses that having the cloud communications allows you to have control of your communications as opposed to everybody just willy nilly, um, you know, as, as a lot of businesses had to do with COVID. Um, one last uh, item there, Robert, is that we also have a collaboration tool very similar to Zoom um, that we use. That's uh, our video collaboration, our text capability. So we add all of that into our platform. So when we talk to businesses out there now, you know, texting from a business was non-existent three years ago. And now it's something that, uh, you know, is more and more critical. So as we think about the, the generational change, you know, getting a text message from an individual as opposed to a company you know, now getting businesses to text to their to their customers, you know, is more and more critical. And that's part of our business. And so is the collaboration. So, you know, instead of paying big dollars for Zoom, we've got that as a free offering as part of our offering uh, with the Crescendo platform. So another question I have, and this one I, I've, I've been thinking about a while when I've, you know, I've, I've done a number of interviews with UCAS companies and, and you know, communications providers. Is, is one of the downside risks is the perception that it's now this commoditized thing? Or how do you think about that? You know, I'm very curious. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we when you think about business communications today, as much as I'd like to say we're unique in our offering, we're not unique in our offering. I mean, you know, our, our platform today, you know, I might have 95 features and RingCentral's got 96 and 8x8's got 94. And the reality is that most end users use five of them. So it's not as if uh, it's a feature war. And so, you know, it's really giving them the service and support. And so is it a commodity? You know, it depends on how you uh, classify a commodity, but it's, it's nothing unique. I mean, Crescendo's offering today is a fantastic offering. I think uh, we have all the competitive variances that we've just talked about on how we separate ourselves from the competition. Uh, but we're not going into a business and saying, hey, we've got something unique that nobody else has. Uh, but we are going to businesses that, again, have a premise-based system and saying, you know, what you have doesn't work. And it's not what's going to be existent five years from now. So you have to move to the cloud at some point in time. Why not do it now? And here's the platform to do it with. Gotcha. So what would you say investors maybe misunderstand about Crescendo or still get confused when, you know, maybe they just spent a half hour with me and, you know, just like we are right now or seen your presentation or, or heard an interview you did with Maj or something like that. You know, what do people, what, what do investors still misunderstand or get confused about the company? Yeah, two things. Uh, one, uh, you know, we're, we're not that household name. So they have to do a little diligence to find out, you know, hey, where do we even sit in the industry? So if you look at uh, the UCAS industry, you know, it was a, it was a high riser during COVID and, and all the UCAS stocks were at the, at the top of their uh, valuations. And with COVID being hopefully in the rear view mirror, you know, now all of the SaaS stocks and, and as a service stocks have really come down back down to, uh, to uh, much more true valuations. We really think that ours, unfortunately, has been seeing a lot of that downward pressure that you've seen on the Zooms and the Ring Centrals and the five nines of the world. And so, you know, we think that we're completely, completely undervalued. But our biggest challenge is just getting the message out to shareholders to have them realize, you know, who we are, what we're doing and, and what we're capable of. So, you know, prior to the acquisition, you know, we were probably one of the only, if not the only, gap profitable UCAS companies out there. Now at $16 million in 2020 and, you know, six and a half, seven million dollars worth of profit. Now that had uh, some tax benefits in there, but, you know, still adjusted EBITDA was, you know, almost $2 million in 2020. That was a big statement to go out there and say, hey, we're one of the few gap profitable companies out there. Now with acquisition costs and amortization costs uh, through the acquisition, you know, we're focused on our non-gap numbers, but it's still extremely, extremely strong non-gap numbers because we know how to run a business. Uh, you know, we've built this business to grow and grow uh, very profitably and very successfully. So, you know, for investors, when they look at the fundamentals, and I think with all of the shift in, in the in the markets over the last uh, year or so, you know, it's coming back down to fundamentals and our fundamentals are strong as can be. Uh, basically no debt. The only debt we've got is the building that uh, we reside here in, in Phoenix. So that's the only debt we've got on our on our balance sheet. Uh, cash flow positive, adjusted EBITDA positive, uh, organic growth. You know, we've got all of the right metrics for businesses to look at and say, wow, you know, this, this is a strong opportunity. Uh, plus, uh, you know, at the end of last quarter, we announced the dividend. So, you know, probably the only uh, UCAS company providing a dividend out there. That's just how confident we feel in our stock and, and our capabilities to continue to grow the business with positive cash flow is that, uh, you know, we're trying to set ourselves apart to say, if you're looking for the next uh, big thing, you know, Crescendo is going to take off because, again, that $36 million run rate with the right acquisitions and organic growth, 
you know, at a hundred million dollars in a couple of years, you know, that's a pretty significant uh, growth trend for us to, to be able to talk about. So how much, if at all, have your shareholders or potential shareholders influence some of your decision-making process? Yeah, I mean, as a publicly held company, I mean, everything that we do is is for the benefit of our shareholders. So as we look at how we're growing out there and what our strategy is and what we're trying to accomplish out there, you know, it's all with the shareholders in mind. So, you know, we've, we've met all of our commitments over the years. We told our shareholders when we on, when we were on the OTC that we were going to do an organic uplist. We told them we were going to get to gap profitability. We told them we were going to go out and do a capital raise. We told them we were going to go out and do an acquisition. And we did all of those with the headwinds of, of COVID happening. So, you know, in, in 2020, you know, not only did, did we do the organic uplist, but we had a successful S1 offering. Uh, we raised enough capital to go out and do our acquisition that uh, we, we completed in 2021 with NetSapiens. And so everything that we've committed to our shareholders, uh, we've come through on. And so I do a lot of investor conferences, you know, and so when we meet with these folks, you know, we're telling them, you know, hey, here's what we told you we were gonna do. And every single step along the way, you know, we've met those commitments. And so our commitment is that we're going to continue to grow organically and, and inorganically. And so our shareholders know that that's, uh, that's what our, our game plan is. Again, I think our biggest challenge is, is, is finding more shareholders. If you look at our stock today, you know, not a lot of float on our stock, not a lot of trading on our stock. So, you know, I think we average 35, 40,000 shares trading in a day. That's, that's not a big, uh, transactional like type uh, stock. And so, you know, it's really getting the message out there because, you know, once people see what the company is capable of, you know, I think this is a, is a at least a double or a triple uh, bagger going down the line if we look at uh, what we can do if we execute. For sure. So in your opinion, you know, I asked you about one potential downside risk, but, you know, just playing devil's advocate here, you know, what, what would you say are some of the company's downside risks? Yeah, from our perspective, I mean, you know, we, we've got uh, the opportunity to grow. When you look at acquisitions, acquisitions are always, uh, you know, a challenge to integrate. Uh, you know, we've had uh, 10 months under our belt now uh, integrating the NetSapiens acquisition. That's gone extremely smooth. Uh, we've seen the good cost synergies, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, every acquisition comes with, uh, you know, the challenges. And so, you know, we're a small organization. So for us to go out and do acquisitions, we don't have you know, an acquisition team. So I, I wear the IR hat, I wear the, uh, the negotiator hat, I wear the, uh, the COO hat. So, you know, if we go out and we do another acquisition, you know, it's, it's our team that, uh, that blends them in. So our CFO, Ron Vincent, uh, that, uh, does a lot of the investor conferences with me, you know, him and his team are phenomenal, but, you know, when we look at, uh, buying smaller companies that don't have, uh, you know, gap financials, you know, getting all of that, uh, into one, uh, one reporting system, takes a lot of time and effort. So, you know, I'd love to be able to do three or four acquisitions a year. We still have the bandwidth to do that now. Now, over time, as we continue to grow, you know, maybe that becomes a lot more cookie cutter for us. But, uh, you know, that's probably our biggest uh, challenge right now is finding the right acquisitions and integrating them into the organization. But, you know, I, I just go back to our track record that at uh, our previous company, you know, we did over 50 acquisitions over the course of 15 years. And that grew the company to a $500 million uh, run rate and, and was extremely profitable and extremely successful. So again, it's not our first rodeo. So we know what we're looking for in an acquisition and we've got a good tight integration strategy. So, you know, although it's a downside risk, whenever you're going out there and doing those acquisitions, you know, I think we've got the right game plan to make sure that uh, it's successful for us. And then the only other uh, challenge we've got is, uh, is uh, obviously, you know, capital, we're, we're, 
we're always aware of dilution for our shareholders and, and capital expense. And so, you know, we've got, uh, you know, a strong, strong balance sheet today at the end of the year at uh, 2021, we had over $7 million cash on the balance sheet. Uh, you know, we don't want to use all of that in acquisitions. So as we look at potential acquisitions, we've got to be cognizant of, uh, you know, what we can, what we can bite off of today uh, without going out and raising a lot of debt because we're, very cautious on uh, going out there and uh, getting too leveraged out there. That's the downside of a lot of businesses. You know, we're going to continue to run our game plan successfully. But if you look at some of the uh, competitors out there, like the Fusions and the GTTs of the world that were, are in our industry, you know, they went out and bought off a lot more than they could chew and it put them all into bankruptcy. You know, that'll never happen with Crescendo. So we're very strategic about, you know, how we're going to continue to grow and when we look at some of these companies that went out there and just you know, got way too leveraged and tried to buy everything and just put a big hodgepodge together, you know, that was a train wreck for them. Absolutely. So where do you see the company in three to five years? And, and what, in your opinion, are the inflection points that need to happen in order to get you there? Yeah. So again, you know, from a growth perspective, organic growth of 20 to 30 percent, I think that's uh, definitely uh, doable from our perspective, especially where the market is today with still a tremendous amount of growth opportunity. And then with acquisitions layered in there, you know, I would uh, I would love to see us at a hundred million dollar run rate in two to three years. Uh, you know, is that doable You know, with the right acquisitions and the right uh, execution? Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, that gets us that uh, that growth target that uh, we can you know, get uh, on more people's radar screens, you know, as a small $36 million run rate company today, you know, a lot of institutions, a lot of investors look at us and say, oh, you know, they're, they're a little too small for me. But, you know, as soon as we start getting a little bit more girth to us, you know, then we're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. So, um, you know, where I look at us in three to five years is, you know, continuing to execute on our game plan. You know, we're not going to veer off and go out and buy something that's, uh, that's not conducive to us. So if we buy from our fishing pond or, or or fish in our fishing pond, you know, that's a home run strategy for us. It worked for us previously and it'll work for us here again because it's a very synergistic strategy. Um, from a stock perspective, you know, obviously, again, we feel like our stock is completely undervalued. Uh, Steve is, is our CEO and he's been buying on the open market. In fact, uh, the majority of the stock that he owns today, you know, he owns 45, 46% of the outstanding shares today. And most of that he's bought on the open market. Uh, and he was buying on the open market until this most recent quiet period. So, you know, Steve is a big believer in, in the company, as we all are. Um, if you look at our insider transactions, most uh, uh, most of the executive officers have been purchasing uh, uh, when we're not in a quiet period uh, because we feel like the stock is completely undervalued. And we know what we've got the opportunity to deliver. So if we think about where we're trading at today from a valuation perspective, you know, if we execute and uh, we get to that uh, you know $100 million range in revenue, and we can get to a four or five times multiple, which is very realistic in our industry, you know, that's a tremendous uptick for us. So to close this out here today, you know, I, I like to ask this question to everybody at the very end. And it's unique to you because you've been in public markets and been on a public company management team now, even even prior to Crescendo. So What's what's been what's been I'll re-ask it like this, you know, what's been your experience going from maybe some of those large the larger uh, uh, company that you were public company uh, management team on to now in our beautiful, amazing, wonderful microcap land? Yeah, it's uh, it's a good question. And, and you know, to answer it, uh, I'll highlight that, you know, at Intertel, being a five hundred million dollar company, you got a lot more recognition. And, and this was, you know, back in. 
in 2006, 2007, 2008. Uh, so, yeah, that was back at a time when, you know, the market uh, was was not as, as overflowing with publicly held options. Uh, so it was a whole different ballgame. You know, when I go out there today and I see all these SPACs and I see all these uh, options out there with uh, companies that are, are trying to go public or are public, uh, you know, it's a whole different ballgame. And so when I think about what it takes to run a publicly held company today, it's knowing that, hey, our shareholders are first and foremost, and, and we're going to continue to execute uh, to the benefit of our shareholders. I'm not sure a lot of uh, um, public CEOs still think that way, uh, but, you know, it's it's first and foremost for Steve. I mean, he is our largest shareholder. So, you know, he thinks along those lines every single day because, you know, he is the largest shareholder of Crescendo. So when he says, you know, it's in the best interest of the shareholders, you know, he's got the biggest portion of that uh, when he when he makes that statement. Um but I think for us, it's it's always about you know what can we do to increase the valuation of the organization and and for us today, you know, it's getting the message out there on who Crescendo is. It's it's executing on our game plan. You know, we haven't veered off that game plan in the eight years. I mean, when you look at our our financials from five, six, seven years ago, you know, we were hemorrhaging money and uh, and our revenue was a lot lot smaller than what it is today. But you know, we kept uh, we kept that same message to our shareholders that. Hey, we're not profitable. We're going to get to profitability. We're growing at this rate, and every single single thing that we uh, committed to, you know, we've come through on. So as I look at being a publicly held company, you know, there's days when I wish we weren't a publicly held company because of all the uh, rules and regulations and uh, SEC uh, requirements that you've got to follow. You know, we we could be a lot more profitable as not being a publicly held company, but we are public and we like being public, and and we'll continue to grow and leverage that. I think being public allows us to use our, our, our stock as equity in some of these acquisitions going forward. So that gives us a huge opportunity to take some of these businesses and show them that, uh, hey, if they come on board and, and they see that we can execute, you know, the value of their company could go up exponentially. You know, if they're going out and they're selling just to use uh, easy math, if they've got a $5 million UCAS service provider company today, and I go in and I buy them for one and a half times revenue at seven and a half million dollars, and and I do a portion of that in stock, and that stock grows, uh, you know, threefold in the next year because we continue to execute. There's seven and a half million dollars, maybe a ten or twelve million dollar acquisition, you know, and with the valuation of their stock going up. So, you know, that's the message that we tell all of these potential acquisitions is that, hey, if you look at where we are today, you know, this is a growth strategy that's going to continue to grow, and if they take advantage of it now. You know, they're getting in on the ground floor of something that's going to be pretty sensational. You know, I lied. I, I usually I, that's my last question, but I have to ask on the acquisition side of things. You know, from from what you can tell us, I mean, how many do you expect to to do this year? Yeah, I think that uh, you know, obviously I can't uh, yeah, you know, give you any guarantees on that, but sure. uh, you know, I would think that uh, you know we'll we'll be able to at least uh, hopefully get to at least one acquisition done this year. Uh, you know, we, when when we talk about that base of 200 customers out there, uh, you know, ever since we did the acquisition of NetSapiens, those 200 resellers out there, you know, they've been knocking on our door saying, hey, when you're ready to talk, uh, we're ready to listen. So, you know, we've got uh, plenty of, of options out there. It's a matter of picking the right options and, and executing. And so again, executing and doing the synergy, that's the key point. So, you know, can we get uh, one done this year? Absolutely. Can we get more than one done this year? Depends on how large and how uh, easily the first one goes. But, uh, you know, our goal is to do, you know, potentially one to two per year and uh, roll those up. So, 
Um, I think it's definitely something that uh, this year, you know, we're planning on having something done. Uh, but, you know, again, the markets and the uh, and the negotiations will take care of that. But, uh, you know, we've got enough irons in the fire to know that if one doesn't work, we've got plenty of other options out there. Very good. Well, Doug, with that, where can our audience go and find more information on Crescendo? Yeah, so obviously our website, uh, www.crescendo.com. A uh, little unique spelling, so C-R-E-X-E-N-D-O.com. Um, we've got uh, a lot of investor stuff on our investor page there. And uh, we continue to do presentations like this. So, Robert, really appreciate you having us on uh, your show and uh, look forward to uh, any future uh, correspondence. And if anybody wants to reach out to me directly, I'm uh, easily accessible and I handle most of the IR for the company today. Um, so my email address is dgaylor, and that's G-A-Y-L-O-R, at crescendo, C-R-E-X-E-N-D-O.com. And uh, look forward to talking to anybody that uh, feels like reaching out to find out a little bit more about Crescendo. Very good. Well, Doug, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I, uh, I look forward to our next update. Thanks, Robert. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.